Welcome back to A People's Guide to Publishing. I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing and Distribution. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 25 years. I'm Ellie Blue. I'm the Editorial and Marketing Director here at Microcosm. We are an independent midlist publisher based in Portland, Oregon and Cleveland, Ohio. We have over 700 books, over 25 employees, and we make about 40 new books every year. And we distribute thousands of titles from other publishers. We started this podcast so that we can share what we've learned with newer publishers so that you can learn from our mistakes. Or maybe you just want to understand the publishing industry. This week, we have special guest to the pod, Set Sites, author of... Hi, Seth. Hello. Dozens, millions of books, uh, mm -hmm. a never-increasing volume across <laughs> a multitude of genres. Do you know how many you have completed? Does anyone know? Um, God, I, I don't know. I won't take your time up counting more. I think maybe 16 at this point. Maybe. Oh, wow. You see my point. No one knows. So many <laughs> that no one can count. It's a number that it, it's like in experimental mathematics, it's a number that hasn't been created yet. <laughs> so, but impressive. Um, maybe I don't, I don't want to assume, but I'm going to guess that your best selling books are maybe How Not to Kill Yourself and uh, Born to Be Weird and maybe Faces in the Dark. Am I wrong? Yeah, I'm not sure about Faces in the Dark, but Hannah's Kiesel, Born to be Weird, I would say so. Okay. Yeah. So you and made those me happen those. to be books that we published by I Seth. <laughs> I'm putting it together now. <laughs> <laughs> and so we found you, or rather, you found us. It's really hard to say because Faith had bootlegged a copy of How Not to Kill Yourself that she purchased on Amazon and then printed and then kept in her waiting room and her clients kept stealing it. So she eventually said, Joe, you have to publish this book because my clients keep stealing it. So I need more than one copy at a time. This and that's shows, sorry. <laughs> this shows that stealing can be good. <laughs> I mean, and she stole it from you. So that's, you know. It all works out in the end. Karma. Yeah. So, what, what is your recollection of what happened after that? Um, I got a notification on my website that I didn't see um, from from you, I think. Yeah, from you about saying, "Oh, this Texan doctor has, has told us about." your work would like to publish you. So when I saw it a month later, because I get no notifications from my website, which is excellent, I just thought, <laughs> spam, scam. <laughs> uh, so I was very cagey, thinking my reply, probably saying this is probably a scam, but you know, I'd, at, least I'd, at least I replied, I thought, you know, just in case, message. And then I got slight over, over the course of many emails, I got slightly more convinced, but I was still probably very like, oh, I'm going to, at some point, you know, everyone's going to go, ha, 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 we got you. <laughs> and I'm still waiting on our payment from you. I haven't received it yet. Do you yeah. know? It's one million um, <laughs> British pounds, which is, I think, 10 million US dollars now. You can yeah. just give us your bank account number and we'll take care of it. Oh, yeah, we'll do the rest. <laughs> We're really good at that part. 
But so, and then your book came out, and then we sold them all, and then we did another edition, and we're well on our way to selling all of those. And then um, uh, Sarah, who is the who is actually like sort of dually in editorial and in charge of managing the receiving department, she was like, "I read some of Seth's other books, and they're really good." <laughs> You know? And that was like sort of the, the next part. And then we sold out of the uh, first editions of Born to be Weird. And then it was at that point, we actually just, it was like a tech, similar to your website bump. We had an incident where we tried to order more and there was some kind of technological problem where it wouldn't t accept that we had an account and that we had printed this book before. So I just gave up. And then when people kept asking for Born to be Weird, we were just like, well, I guess we'll just have to do a new edition and make them proper. And so oh, I, you just keep I going. About it. Yeah, I'm out of the loop. <laughs> but that, and you know, and then we got to take some of the new stories and then all the old stories and like make a longer book. And um, I mean, I think technically that doesn't actually come out until December. But we do have them, and it is very good, and it's very nice. Have you received yours yet? No, unfortunately not. I'm probably going to take another nine months to get to Britain, I think, judging my previous experience. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I apologize. Oh, um, for anyone who is unfamiliar, um, Set is not from the United States. Set is from... Wait, what? You tell by the strange accent. It's, it's not a put-on. It is actually, <laughs> whereas mine is very manufactured, Seth's accent is legitimately British, which somehow means that everything from like money to books take so much longer to get there. Yeah, yeah. An accent that no one in Britain can place, actually, in my whole life. <laughs> it's accentless British. <laughs> it's generic. Um. So I want to know more about Born to be Weird, since that's the topic of this podcast. And I also kind of want to know more about like your story as a writer and publishing your own books and working with us set. Um, which one do you want to talk about first? Oh, God, uh, you might have to pick out of those. What were the options? Uh, let's talk about let's talk about you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, how did you get your start like writing and self-publishing? Were you born to be weird? I mean, yeah, absolutely. As soon as I, as soon as I popped out, I was just, they were just looking at me like, "Oh God, it's a weirdo." And I've, I've liked writing all for as long as I know, since I was a kid. But I was always writing because I grew up on, um, on Discworld, and I was always um, writing for long. It took me way too long to get out of the habit of just writing comic fantasy of just like really ridiculous stuff that made no sense. And I was really happy. and I wrote that for years and years and years, just just fast. And then, and then as I became a more a, a later in teenage years, I was become a bit more edgy and got into sort of metal music and stuff. I started trying to write darker things and indulging my my inner edge. Um, and then I kind of found a happy balance between them. But it wasn't until um, twenty twelve, maybe that I actually finished something. Because I, um, having a ADHD, I just flipped between millions of 
project. I'd, I'd start something, get really carried away, write all the chapter titles, draw all the creatures, write all the descriptions of characters, everything this, not actually write the story, maybe bits of chapters. <laughs> and then I'd be like, ah, next thing. And I'd do another thing, and then another thing, another thing. Uh, and I design video games, and I'd, I'd just do everything, but very much can't see the forest for the trees kind of work. Um, or maybe it's the other way. I don't know. One of those way rounds. And then, uh, and then in 2012, I finally finished because I was in like a really bad way in in my living situation. I was really miserable, and work was just disaster. So I finally finished a book. Kind of, it was semi autobiographical uh, fantasy. In hindsight, I think it was terrible, but it was my first <laughs> first thing I finished. Put it out there. Um, and then that kind of broke the seal. And ever since then, I've never, not really much trouble finishing things. Um, but various short stories written after that point that eventually, because I was trying to get as much out online in, in terms of single format stuff as I could do, just kind of inundating with my name on as many, many books as I could. So, so I collect this into a short story, into a collection, collect these other short stories into a collection, Born to be Weird, Faces in the Dark. Um, and they existed obviously pre-microcosm, but in a slightly different form. And then when it came to microcosm, then I guess as a, as a kind of favor to me, we ended up publishing those things. And then and then now that we're doing it again, but but properly, I guess. <laughs> where, where how were you self-publishing? What was um, what was your platform? Uh, <laughs> you know what the platform is. It was Amazon. As uh, as as we've all learned, shall not be named. As all self-publishers have learned, or most of us, in that if you're trying to be self-published without any sort of clout behind you, if you turn your back on Amazon, you kind of have almost signed your own death now because it's you just you're kind of trying to do the whole thing on ultra hard mode without Amazon. Sad as that is, because they corner so much the market. So, uh. Yeah, so you tell and it's been it's been a definite learning experience getting stuff out there. And, and um, it's, it seems like everybody that I know that does that, there like Amazon is like a gamified system, but the rules change every month. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I I definitely know people that like their full time job is figuring out what the current game of Amazon <laughs> is and how to play it effectively. Do, you, do never, you invest yourself in that at all? I think that's just would serve to give me a headache. Um, I don't know much about it. I, I do know from my experience that Amazon are quite, they're simultaneously helping um, self-published offers, obviously, selfishly, but at the same time, they're, um, they also are very kind of biased against them. Um, especially things like reviews, um, their own rating system, um, advertise them to other people. They are more unfair towards self-publishing than anything. So you're much more likely to say get positive reviews of your own taken down um, and just be buried at the bottom of a big pile of authors that they want to promote. While also they will cut you, cut you off as much as they can from other distributors because they want to own you. So... So it's really you're really kind of taking blessings and curses almost at the same time. On one hand, you get much higher royalty rates, but on the other hand, 
you're making a lot of little sacrifices and just general stuff that will be frustrating just like why is this the case amazon give you an answer and you just have to roll with it <laughs> what are the like you know you've worked with amazon self-publishing and you've worked with us in a more traditional author publisher relationship like how do you compare and contrast those experiences i mean it's completely different and and i it was a learning experience for both of them and, and i think so obviously a lot is a lot more put on me when it comes to self-publishing and, and that's a lot more for me to learn and there's don't get me wrong there's been extreme frustrations doing that and, and doing this learning thing because it's just been me and doing stuff i had no idea to do like putting you know creating paperbacks um formatting all this stuff and and getting out there and dealing with the sort of business side of things is an absolute pain and has has kept me up till 5am many nights tearing my hair out um and it's got easier over time but I, there's lots of stuff you know i wish i'd known years ago just known from the beginning and and plenty of especially formatting stuff that's just has made absolutely no sense over and over and just leaves me like yelling like why why is it this happening why are the extra blank pages in this document when they don't exist in, in word um so i didn't get that with my cousin thankfully um it's less of a learning experience and more well it's more of a social learning experience it's learning how to let go more i would say mm -hmm. i'm obviously full creative control self-publishing and i have to give some of that up and working with traditional publishers i have to sort of let certain things go i can't have like tight hold of the reins in every single incident in in many respects in terms of formatting in terms of covers in terms of just the way things go uh, so it is nice hand it's, it's nice handing it over and not having to do a word but on the other hand you know you have to you have to be less of a stubborn bastard as i've <laughs> certainly grown up to be uh, I, I i was amazed how little fuss you put up when we americanized all your spellings i think by that point i just like yeah i just I kind of certain certain things like the ro the robes and, and versus dressing gowns something is still bother a bother <laughs> thank you for your forbearance <laughs> but you know i'm a patient man as i was gonna say more is i have so many questions like it, when it's when it's just me doing it questions are things i just have to answer myself i have to look up and find out but when you're dealing with other people all you can do is ask the questions and wait and, and then you become conscious of being annoying with the sheer amount of questions i want to ask like why this why was this so much i don't understand and whereas if it's just me i could spend as, as many hours as i wanting trying to understand googling relentlessly trial trial and error i don't get that the other side because obviously you're just relying on someone else's time to patiently ask, answer your million questions yeah. what about on the other end like after the book is out like in terms of like reaching readers and hearing from them and like selling books and getting paid like what are the differences there that for you um so oh god so that's many good questions in one um <laughs> getting so getting paid is in terms of microsm that's quite it, while i've had many confusions about the actual uh, system that you use <laughs> um it's confusing yeah it was straightforward in terms of actually money you know coming out into but amazon i just 
in in a really unprofessional way i haven't even paid any attention to it because it goes into account i kind of often forget it's not there and becomes it instead of like lump amounts it just comes in drips and drabs so there's right. no point looking and saying, oh right so you've got two pound here and four pound here and three pound here and add it all up so i just i kind of don't <laughs> which i really should do because it's my own finances but i just don't um in terms of say feedback from people so my cousin is great i've, I've had lots of emails regarding how to kill yourself from random strangers that I have no idea that just yes I've, I've, I've had quite quite a lot of this but they're all very nice to receive and they're all also very strange to receive uh because like very even when they come even all these years later it's, it's still unexpected because it's still part of me like what you first of all you read it that helpful um I know for people from all sorts of walks of life, so I've had kind of interesting conversations with some of them. Uh, but that's it's very um, rewarding. It's, it's very nice to receive that. Um, it's very different system. Self self publishing is less that you don't get say emails from people saying, "Oh, I love this," but it's more conversations that have been struck up generally on things like Reddit. Uh, sometimes if you get to know people it'll to eventually become maybe WhatsApp for a few people. People, um, you kind of foster relationships with people who are reading your book. Uh, you get to know them over time and back and forth, other authors especially. Um, um, and then over time, you kind of have a rapport with them. But, and also you get lots of like comments. I do a lot of sort of like self promote sort of self-promotion on Reddit. And you get a lot of comments with people. People say, oh yeah, I read, I read that thing. And that's, nice to see but it's a very different vibe to say getting emails and messages say through facebook or through email direct to me uh saying like someone actually reaching out we read this helped me save my life thank you so much and that's a very different thing to be like oh yeah i like i like this story you wrote right like the stakes are just higher and yeah i find it too like i've i've, I've heard a lot of people say like this is the best suicide resource I have ever come across. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's big. Like, I, yeah, it's, it's not something that's ever going to sink in with me. I don't really understand it. Um, it's one of those things like I'm biased against my own book. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of authors feel that way about their own work. Um, I know there's plenty of, you know, big bestsellers, big names who sort of like their first book or some of the first two books are like, nah. They, don't, they think it's rubbish and I know that people love it and because it's a genre Hannah Kusa is in is in a genre self-help that I don't read so I'm in a position of thinking that I wouldn't read my own book and once you're in a position which that sounds a terrible promote, to promote to other people but I'm like look I'm not you like I'm really happy that you enjoy it but it's, it's weird to think of me to read my own books so that's why it's hard to get in the headspace of people who are really fuses about how much they liked it so I'm really appreciative, but one part of me is just never going to fully get it, which is weird because I wrote the thing. <laughs> so we've mostly been talking about your book, How Not to Kill Yourself, which I think is your best-selling book and the first one we published with you. Um, and now we have this second edition of your short story collection, Born to be Weird, which is all fiction, more fantasy horror. Like, what's the connection between those two books? Like if you were talking to somebody and they were like, what do you write? And you were like, here are my two books, I guess. How would you make, how would you bridge that? Oh God, that's a good question. Very hard one to answer. 
um i, I suppose you could say a clue would be in the title being born to be weird like those stories wouldn't exist if i wasn't weird <laughs> and being weird leads you into the whole you know um this distance from from society and and, and struggling with general life because you're not as normal as everyone else and that may lead into the how to kill yourself thing like how to kill yourself it isn't just self help for anyone it's specified to sort of artistic types who sort of struggle um and creative people who feel that it's not really a, a place for them in the world and then that's the argument is to essentially make more to, to put your put more of your own creativity out into the world to to better live yourself so i suppose in a way born to be well born to be weird is an example of me doing that for myself like writing those stories makes me feel better and, and always does being productive and in that creative sense will always make me feel better um so that's kind of my uh remedy in a sense born to be weird is a remedy and then how to how not to kill yourself is the sort of instruction guide <laughs> Mm -hmm. And awesome. I mean, you talk a lot about in How Not to Kill Yourself that like writing stories is a good way out of a dark reality. I mean, it seems like that's a strong connection too. So like, were these the stories you were talking about? Um, I mean, they'd be included, I suppose. I mean, because I write all sorts. So, I mean, it's not all stuff. A lot, a lot of the stuff I write is dark or dark tinge not all of it but even when i'm trying to write something i won't say happy-go-lucky but something uh, something more optimistic eventually at some point they'll be like oh you've made it dark again <laughs> without <laughs> being able to help yourself uh so i guess that is just part of my nature but it it does i don't know i suppose it's cathartic in a sense you get that out there you get sort of inner demons out of there and you also um but then a lot of it is just an aesthetic thing on my sense I, it's it's just different kinds of darkness there's sort of an internal thing where you're like getting out catharsis of, of sort of emotions and and, and sort of stuff that you might deal with in everyday life but in a fantasy or horror setting and then there's a darkness of just like you know monsters and ghouls this is cool i'm enjoying my this which is a hard thing to explain for people who don't grew up like that like why is anyone like horror stories why is anyone like dark gothic things and that's the thing that's almost impossible to explain it seems to be a nature of elements of humanity and, i mean and you, you know you you wrote like the toilet story and um any number of other things that like you know you you truly have like a unique and gifted mind like does it feel good to write those kind of stories yeah <laughs> yeah the toilet story is an interesting one because i i was surprised to find that as lots of people's favorite of the book and i thought it'd be the the book you know the story where people stop reading because just like <laughs> this is all what who's written this is disgusting no you're right yeah so i was i was quite astonished to find that oh yeah my favorite was the the one i guess swallowed by a toilet What's what's your favorite story in the book? My favorite story is either the School of Necromancy or maybe just above that, uh, Ketsu Cthulhu or Ketsu Cthulhu, um, because I love the pairing of because I, I love Mesoamerican stuff and Mesoamerican fantasy is quite hard to find. 
So I love the pairing of that with Lovecraft and putting Lovecraft taken away from the New England setting and putting him in a completely different setting. So I think that might be my favourite. Our School of Necromancy being set in York, where I live. Mm-hmm. Gives you another view on the place you live. Um, so when we did the second edition, um, it actually has like a lot of new stories. Like you took out some stories and added a ton of new ones. How did you choose what to remove, what to add? What was your process there? Did we remove? You said did we remove any? Oh. I can't remember removing any. Maybe we I don't know. I wasn't the editor. <laughs> we might just have added remove any. Then they clearly were so inconsequential. I've <laughs> completely forgotten their existence. Um, so including some, this was self-admittedly me being, well, I want to use the word other than lazy, but I'm going to say lazy. Uh, so I haven't written short stories in, in, in quite a long time. I kind of struggled to get back into it. And I was so set on finishing the sort of various series of my own that there was nothing, I, I'd felt no real um, force to, to write a short. So at least no, maybe no ability to write one. I'm sure at some point it will. So, but I had other short stories dotting around already. Um, so I guess I just looked through all of them. A lot of them at rubbish. Um, added the ones that weren't rubbish. And then the other side is it Sarah? I think. Um, then you know, also, and then decided like, yes, this one. No, not not that one. How um, did you choose what sequence to put the stories in? I don't think that was my choice, the sequence. Oh, really? Okay. Because I would have yeah, used, I think I would have done it slightly differently. Because there's a story okay. called Halfway, and Halfway doesn't appear halfway in the book. <laughs> and that's why I would have. <laughs> Maybe it's a, a different evaluation of half. Yeah. The, I mean, the book is about being weird, you know, like it's a oh, weird yeah. definition of half. Halfway in <laughs> well, The reason I called it Halfway, Halfway is. It's quite an interesting addition because all the other in addition because all the others are short stories. Halfway wasn't originally a short story. Halfway um, was called an adventure of unparalleled importance, and it was a full novel. It was my first novel, the one I said was terrible. Uh, well, not terrible, but it was something I, I grew later kind of embarrassed about certain parts of it. But the part that was called Halfway was one section that appeared halfway through the book. Um, so it's basically one chapter, really. And then I suddenly got it, and I lo- and I read the chapter, and I actually quite liked the chapter. It wasn't full of like the sort of stuff that would make me cringe later on. And I liked some of the parts of it. And I thought it could be interesting to take that, completely erase it from all context, and have the reader immediately faced with the fact, okay, well, the adventure's already been going on for you're just stuck. You're not in no context of background to what the adventure's about, but you're just halfway through and through it. So you immediately play it's halfway. That's why I decided to call it halfway. And then you do part of the adventure and then you whisk stuff again to another short story. And I kind of like the idea of that. It's confusing, I get uh, deliberately. Um, but I like the chapter enough that ended up included. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do, do, I don't know if I was part of it originally. I must I think I did. <laughs> you didn't really answer the question though about like does it feel good to write weird stories like does that is it fulfilling or or is that just like a part of yourself that can't ever be satisfied <laughs> um i think oh yeah that, that's gonna be a mixture i think um 
So like when I was, I think before I learned to talk about my stories in a less pretentious way, I would always, I would say like, oh, writing is like an exorcism. It's like, it's, uh, it's like getting themes out of me and putting on the paper. And it's not that I enjoy it. It's that it's just bringing stuff out of me. And then uh, late after years more, I was like, don't talk about it like that. Um, <laughs> no, I do, I do enjoy writing and enjoy, I enjoy writing weird stuff. I've written some, yeah, some very strange stuff and some very, very, very dark stuff in, in my life. And I'm kind of fond of all of it. There's parts where I think this is sort of not great writing, but there's not really parts where I thought you've gone too far. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, there's maybe there's some bits I would do differently, but overall, I enjoy writing weird stuff dark stuff i'd say it's part of my mentality in a sense part of my sense of aesthetics or maybe i don't want to think of it as just being shocking i try not to write something you know shock for shock's sake which i know some people do but there is still a kind of weird pleasure in writing a particular scene that you know is extremely fucked up and you're like you read it back you're like oh god yeah but in a good way <laughs> <laughs> And are there like muses or inspirations that you have for that style of writing? Um, honestly, um, while as well as a number of authors, I'm sure have had their influence on me. In terms of in terms of dark stuff, honestly, it's more music than than actually reading. Like, not much of what I've read because I don't read that much horror. I've read some, but not much of it. I really feel has particularly inspired me or influenced me. Like, I feel like I was writing that kind of stuff before I was reading it. Um, so I think things like um, a lot of sort of dark music, and especially music videos and stuff, influenced me very much in my teenage years, especially. And I wouldn't probably wouldn't be the person I was today if I hadn't watched and listened to them um, back when I used to wear bright colours. Uh, <laughs> Please send so, yeah so, so um yeah reading this uh, so listening to this stuff actually i just kind of got in a sense of mind of sort of the aesthetics of all and something in me must i don't know because obviously people can listen and watch this stuff and be extremely averse to it and think oh this is horrible and so, something obviously different about my mind i think at the beginning i thought it was horrible but you kind of get accustomed to it you think oh that stuff's too much but this stuff, yeah, it's kind of cool. And then you kind of take another step, and you're like, that stuff that you originally thought was, oh, you're like, oh, no, actually. Well, <laughs> more fucked up because my, my Overton window of fucked up has shifted. Um, so, yeah, I would say musically, but it's hard to pinpoint specific artists. It's just a big realm of weird and dark metal and rock. Um yeah, and movies, movies very much, especially. Like, I think a lot of it, I'm a very visual writer and, and my imagination is very visual. So I I get influenced a lot more by cinematic mediums and, and all all mediums than, than reading, I think. Did you watch Stranger Things? I did. I do enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. I, I finally watched it and it made me understand the cover on the new edition of Born to be Weird a little bit better. I, <laughs> what was the, I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Joe, is the cover like a Stranger Things nod? I think it's more of a Cthulhu meets that yeah. 
the general style of like detective pulp novels. That, mm, okay. was, that was my. I think so, yeah. And a lot of like... this stuff, a lot of the stuff I don't think probably owes something of to, of to Lovecraft because, like, without that influence, a lot of this stuff, like tentacle imagery and stuff that came about and this sort of right. unknown powers and stuff, probably. I mean, they put, I'm sure they would have existed at some point, but they all, a lot of it derived originally from Lovecraftian horror. So you were alive in the 80s. I um, I listened to a program this morning that said that the reason that Stranger Things was so effective is because they got like the hair and the mall and the clothes and like sort of the Trapper culture, like the don't tell your parents culture of things. They got that so right that it made it believable when they started to move into like fantasy and, you know, where they and then that. Do you think about like the believability factors in your story or like how your stories or how they work? Or is or I was you... say, first being alive in the 80s, I would say I was two at the end of the 80s. Oh. So it's, I'm sure it's a very fake nostalgia going on there. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one. My own, the believability. Um, yeah, sometimes I think you can be so strange and and imaginative that you lose any sense of being grounded and i think i often struggled with my own reading of very high epic fantasy for a long period in my life of this kind of stuff and it turned up for a long way for a long time away from you know wizards and and sorcery and dark lords and and elves and all this stuff and i still to me that's not my ideal kind of fantasy um I like stuff that has a kind of grounding in the real world, whether it's in the past or now, and then layers fantasy on top of it, which I think is a big part of why something like Harry Potter became so popular is that you've got, you know, like a bully child wanting a new kind of different life and it's overlaying your ordinary understanding of the world of like, oh, this is all fantasy magical. Um, and I would do similar stuff, but generally with more horrific results. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think I like to have a sense of, I mean, there's only so much believability you can get by getting swallowed by a public toilet. Because if you're really a skeptic, someone's going to step in and say, I don't think that can happen. <laughs> or that's their new fear. Yeah, yeah I really hope it is. I, I hope I've given someone a fear of deep, deep fear of being swallowed by a public toilet. So, so like, I mean, have you seen the movie Jaws? Of course, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if it was like hamburgers or something where like you find it repellent because of its Americanism. But the, so the thing when Jaws was new, people would not go in public chlorinated swimming pools because they were convinced that they would be, be full of sharks, which was impossible. You know? <laughs> so it was like the suspension of disbelief went so full circle that people were like, I am going to die if I step in that puddle. <laughs> so, yeah, because even in even in the sea, you're pretty much safe from great whites. They're not a, a violent species that attacks humans generally, and they're certainly not going to like kill you. It's very very unlikely. Or like, but it doesn't change anything. Like if I'm in the deep water and I see shadows pass by underneath me, you're still going to be like, oh god. <laughs> or like yeah. attacks the birds. You know, it's kind of the oh, same yeah. thing where like. You know, it doesn't, it's not really a problem, but then you like look up all the time and you develop, you know, it, it like taps into that part of your brain 
And I think, you know, this is sort of the thing where like, because your work is imaginative, like you run this realm where people are like, oh, I've never thought of that. Do I need to think about that? I like that sort of primordial sense of human brain where you can make fear out of just about anything. I like it. One of my favorites is, is trees. When you look at any, I think it was used the best effects in Wizard of Oz. But you can see just at night, if you're walking about and you're looking at the way trees are around, you're like, oh God, like I know they're just trees. They're not going to hurt me. But, you know, you never know. They might reach out of their arms and <laughs> take me in. <laughs> but so do you, do you think about that kind of stuff or are you just like, I have a concept and I'm running with it? Oh, no, constant. Con um, I'm, oh, no, I'm constantly on some level scared of just about everything, at least at night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of it comes from dreams and, and nightmares, but also sort of occasionally it kind of strays into waking hallucinations. Um, so it's always a, like a blessing and a curse in that you sense, okay, I'm terrified, but it's going to be good for a story. <laughs> That's a good way to. That's a good way to cope with your fears. I gotta say. Yeah, I think like a, a lot of time it's, a, it's something as simple as just like going upstairs to bed and then turning all the lights off and get, and then you think, oh right, some sort of big werewolf zombie creature is racing up the stairs after me and got to close the door before I get in. So I generally kind of bar the door a bit whenever I go to bed because even though I'm sure it take won't take much effort to force the door open, it's a little bit more safety. And that's something you don't really, I don't really enjoy. I don't like the idea of thinking zombies at my window, even if I am on the second floor. But that same sense of imagination and, and thinking everything, you know, thinking in some senses, you know, monsters under the bed, that uh, inspires stories that lets me write stories. I couldn't have one without the other, really. So what, um, what project are you working on now that you're most excited about? I'm currently finishing up the editing to book uh, six of the series called The Fifth Place, which is this weird West sci adult side fantasy thing. Um, and I'm finishing editing that to, to put out and then I'm straight on to what I'm most excited for, which is book five of India Bones, which is this pirate fantasy. And that's the story where I go to this big continent called York, which is a kind of essentially a sort of frontier America if it was still run by the British Empire. <laughs> So it's like pre pre uh pre Independence Day, oh wait, Independence Day pre American Revolution. So, but um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go fully into a lot of sort of old American history, frontier mythology, and Native American history and stuff, and trying to write based on it. And I'm really excited to do that. I've already written, written quite a bit. So I'm really looking forward to doing that. <laughs> nice. Cool. Well. <laughs> Uh, anything else that we all should talk about before we sign off? Go our no, way. keep them coming and yeah. uh, think about you know the next thing that is going to launch the next series. You know, I mean, I think that's always oh, so. Yeah, I've got like thirty-four ideas, so many. Because I think it was, I think it was only a few weeks ago. I suddenly realized this big revelation of like a shared universe and all these other stories and future novels that. Got kicking around and I've been writing bits to her. I was like, oh, it's all part of the same thing. And then I, <laughs> I was just like, this is a hundred years after this, this is a hundred years after this, this is set in a different part of the world. And that got me really enthused. And I was just, it's going to be never ending, really. I'm sure I'll die before I've only done like 10% of it. But 
excited. Good, you'll never run out of ideas. No, no. <laughs> oh, I have one last question for Joe, actually. Do you see Microcosm publishing more fiction in the future? Because this is actually very rare for us. Well, it's interesting. Um, I, I receive, you know, like we receive fiction pitches just about every day. And I have to just about every day explain that, like, we don't have the audience for it or the relationships for it. But then when you have things like this, where it's like, dare I say, far enough left of center, it like makes people interested again. <laughs> and then it's like, it works in the kind of stores that we work with all over again. So it's an odd sort of reversal. So it really depends like, and I feel like weird is sort of a loaded word that is kind of put on people, but you know, you put it on yourself in this case. So reclaim it. Mm -hmm. And and then, and so like, it's kind of a thing like that where like, if you come up with something that is like conceptual and original enough, you know, I feel like that's also the reason why these work. And then people are all of a sudden like, Whoa, I had no idea, you know? And I feel like, we could do more with horror than a lot of genres. Like we couldn't really do much as like a genre fiction publisher and we couldn't really do much as like, and we've tried doing young adult and we've tried doing like a more traditional, not literary novels, but like, you know, more adult type novels. And it, it just really, people don't, I mean, there's so much of it out there that people don't really jump for it. But for this, they did, you know, and I think that's interesting to me, you know, and I, it, but again, like these are genres outside of my expertise. So, you know, it it's like for the right project, we would absolutely do more, you know? And that's anybody watching too, you know, like that's not just like people we have relationships with. Well, um, Seth, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And it was great to see you again. Mm -hmm. If you're ever in the colonies, look us up. A little bit. Same if you're ever here. Thanks for joining us once again. Please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes. And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed. You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub. On Twitter at microcosm. On Facebook at microcosm publishing. On Instagram at microcosm underscore pub. And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.